2: Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Roto-Wire Podcast, sponsored by FanDuel. That's right, it's DFS time. It's me, Joe Pizapia, and my guest host tonight, the one, the only, Doug Thorburn. How's it going, Dougie?
1: It's going well. It's starting to get real now. The numbers are starting to matter a little bit. We're starting to learn a little bit about these players, so I'm excited. First week is always tough. It's always like going in blind. It is.
2: It's hard because you have these weird expectations of players from last year and what your projections and ideas are, and then you have to deal with the fact that it's April, and whatever happens in April, chances are we're going to forget by the time we turn the page from May to June anyway, like it was a distant memory, and yet we have so much that has already gone on and so much has already occurred and some guys we see some guys already taking trajectories like Severino looks great all of a sudden he's an ace and all of a sudden guys like Jose Quintana we can't figure out what's wrong with them but I'm sure the things will all straighten out in the end and right now I know uh last we spoke we uh we did pretty well I think with some of the folks last week so I think we're here again to win some folks some money and get everybody ready to go let's start uh, with the slate for Thursday obviously we got an early start there is a 12:37 game because you know you got to be real specific <laughs> with game times so 1237. So <laughs> if you're gonna play the all-day slate make sure you understand that uh, that game between the Red Sox and the Blue Jays has got an early one beginning there but before you even start with the top of the pitcher slate, there's a guy I want to talk about right off the bat who I just, as soon as I might, as soon as you bring up the slate, my eyes go right to him. He's been outstanding. He's a guy that I've been trumpeting all offseason in the fantasy black book, and so far he has yet to disappoint, and that is James Paxton. He's got a terrific matchup in Oakland, pitcher-friendly ballpark against Cesar Valdez. Uh, So far this year, he's got 37 points, 55 points, 61 points. The guy has been just absolutely lights out, and for 9K, I mean, it's hard to find a better value in any cash game than James Paxson right now.
1: Yeah, that's an amazing value for him, and and I have to admit, going into the year, I was a bit behind where everyone else was. I was a little bit lower in the totem pole because, I mean, obviously the stuff has always been there. He made some mechanical changes, but I felt that a lot of people were uh, were banking on his intense improvement, just you know, completely skyrocketing in value. And I don't like to assume that. I like to kind of see it first. Well, now he's gone ahead and been that good, and it justified all the preseason hype. Uh, so now I'm the one, you know, left holding nothing, no shares of James Paxton. But DFS gives us the opportunity to do so. So <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah, right.
2: DFS allows us to right the wrongs in our life. Well, when is that's probably the only time that statement's ever going to be said live on air anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> usually it's the opposite dfs might be the ills and the reason for them in our life but not necessarily correcting them but you're right you're right it it does give you an opportunity that if you don't have shares of these guys in season long to still utilize them and benefit from them uh, especially in the short term and who knows i mean maybe over the long term of the season you are right and i'm wrong about james paxton
1: but i think we can all agree on thursday it just feels oh so right well and he's what I refused to project was the improvements that it looks like he's already been making. So uh, that's why an entire off season of research just goes completely in the can once the season starts. That's right. Uh, And
2: for $100 less, I know Lance McCullers is out there as well. Uh, He's got a matchup against uh, Matt Shoemaker. Tell me your thoughts on McCullers. So far, obviously, the strikeout rate has always been solid for McCullers. That's not a problem. Uh, So far in the year, he's had three starts, seven strikeouts, 10 strikeouts, six strikeouts. But really, it's always in terms of efficiency. When, When he is efficient, he's a very good pitcher. When he's not efficient... This is a guy that is not even going to get you that quality start, and that's a little troubling. So what are your thoughts on McCullers uh, in today's matchup?
1: You know, it's funny because McCullers was exactly the opposite of Baxton. He's the guy I was super high on. Uh, I've always really liked his delivery. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I have fallen completely head over heels for strikeouts, so anybody who racks up the Ks. But I was especially impressed with how he made the adjustment this uh, over the offseason he shortened his arm, his arm path, and for a lot of guys, when they start messing with arm accident and arm path, it's uh, just a rude disaster. It's really hard for them to make those adjustments, but to see the improvements he made, he, he really shortened that arm path up. It used to be crazy long. I mean, he would uh, beginning of the delivery, he would really reach down. To see him shorten up that arm path and actually find better consistency and to me, that was key, is he didn't really have much to give back when, it, when you look at his walk rate and everything else. He didn't have a whole lot to lose by making those adjustments. So I see a guy who's made the mechanical improvements on top of having great baseline mechanics. So, he, so he's a guy I've been rooting for for a while. Uh, yeah, there's always the risk that something's going to go wrong and he's going to have a short outing, but um, he's someone that I feel, I feel good investing my, my real dollars, my fake fantasy dollars in.
2: And that's important because, you know, the fake dollars are fun sometimes. You know, we (laughs) just want to make sure we keep tabs on those fake dollars. I like to try to use fake dollars as often as I can. Unfortunately, it doesn't always work out for me. I don't know why. People seem to have a problem with my Monopoly money when I try to go to Wawa and get myself a sandwich. Uh, When you go to the top of the board here, look, if you want to be chalk, you certainly can. It's going to cost you to do so Uh, in cash games. It's going to be $11,400 for Chris Sale. Steven Strasburg, ten thousand six hundred. In between them is Noah Syndergaard for eleven thousand two hundred. So if you want to go up to the top of the board, you can. But I got to ask you: Is there something to be said for going Oppo, uh, maybe in tournament play of the Noah Syndergaard pick, and maybe going with Aaron Nola, who's been pretty strong out of the gate as well. Uh, Phillies lineup at times can come alive. I know Syndergaard is really, you know, is a tough, tough road to hoe there. But so far, so good in terms of, you know, two, you know, two pretty good outings from Aranola. Is there opportunity there to kind of be opposite there or maybe target against that cinder guard ownership?
1: I think so. I think it depends on how you want to structure your team. Now, I do tend to invest pretty heavily in pitching uh, just because there's so much – really, there's so much to be lost there. It's not It's not even so much I'm trying to gain as many points as possible. I'm just trying not to get hosed a pitcher. That said, when you got a site like today's, which – is a lot of top-heavy stuff, but there are so many quality arms down the list. I'm going to go ahead and save myself a couple of grand, and and reinvest that into the lineup and go with someone like a Nolan, like a Paxton, like a McCullers. I mean, I love Chris Sale, Syndergaard, and Strasburg. They're excellent, but uh, they better do it at that point. <laughs> oh, I agree. I absolutely agree, and I
2: and I think that's why you know for me Paxton with the ballpark factor, with you know the targeting against Valdez in Oakland against the A's, Paxton's just been so good so far. It's, just, it's hard not to want to save $2,000 there for your offense because I think Paxton can give you comparable production to those guys and mitigate a little bit of that risk. All right, let's go to the other end. Let's start trolling some of these guys because that's where real fun begins in terms of looking for our offense. How about Zach Davies and his 8.79 ERA on the year? He's yet to get out of the fifth inning. Uh, I'm looking at the Cardinals. Maybe the Cardinals haven't gotten off to the best start that you could ask for, but just maybe Zach Davies is the remedy to that, and that's exactly what they need. What are your thoughts on uh, the Cardinals in Milwaukee? A very pitcher uh, hit a friendly environment against Zach Davies.
1: Yeah, I love that ballpark, and I do not love me any Zach Davies. So uh, when it comes to stacking a lineup, I think you can do a lot worse than the Cardinals. And Like you said, another off to a rough start. They have a lot of very interesting pieces at reasonable prices, so you can kind of stack against Davies while at the same time maybe have a peak player too. Uh, because the Cardinals aren't really top heavy, you have a lot of guys who are just solid contributors, so you can fill your lineup with those and then go big on you know, especially the way the slates shake out now, where you have a few of these guys who are in the forty six hundred to five thousand dollars range. Some of these bats but the vast majority of them are under 4,000. 4,
2: yeah, it's very rare that you get that, where you get a team that's you know kind of a little bit underwhelming offensively, and all of a sudden they get a really good matchup, and they're all very cost-effective on the same night as you get a cinder guard or a sailor, one of those top guys available. So cash games, it's it's going to be pretty easy to assemble a lineup, uh, and I think maybe you know better safe than sorry with that, but I, I'm certainly of the mind in the GBP world, too, that you can go with some of these guys and still work that out. How about a Rosmo Ramirez uh, getting his uh, second start of the year? I just find it hard to believe he's going to get out of the fifth inning. And to me, that means you're going to get a lot of middle relief in this game for Tampa. And I think that's a very good thing for the Detroit Tigers. So I'm looking for them to feast there. What are your thoughts on Rosmo Ramirez? You think the Tigers are in play today? Uh, The
1: eraser. I I remember when he was a, (laughs) he was a, a, a source of intrigue and one of those guys that I was I was chasing a couple of years ago, uh, but I mean the, the one thing with Detroit is they tend to rip southpaws. They're just okay against right-handers, so against something like Erasmo, it's it's not quite as enticing as if they're facing a the lefty. Um, I'm actually really encouraged. Not that I love the kids City the offense, but the fact that they're, that they're facing Andrew Kashner. I mean, he's just a, a hit machine waiting to happen, and it's in Texas, uh, so there are enough guys with the Royals once again, that are at reasonable prices that I feel you can stack up your lineup with some of those Midwest guys, the Kansas city guys, the St. Louis guys, and it's not going to kill your bottom the line.
2: All right, let's go over to the catcher position. And, you know, so far it's been a really disappointing April for Jonathan Rulucroi hitting on just a buck 91 home run and four RBIs on the year. But you know, this is a professional hitter and he's going to get right eventually is Danny Duffy the guy to get right on, or is this another? I mean, he's only three thousand. Which, you know, in terms of Lucroy salary-wise, that's actually I think a pretty decent value. But is it enough to justify owning him this week?
1: Well, I think that I mean a catcher. Pretty much everyone's three thousand. It feels like, I mean, yeah, I think they just working. went
2: across the board. You know, they're just yeah. not working hard anymore. Uh, you know, they're just like, who's the catcher? <laughs> eh, three thousand. Okay, let's go
1: with three thousand. Three thousand sounds good. But I, I do tend to like Lucroy against left-handers. Uh, he's one of those guys who tends to have a more pronounced split. Um, in fact, looking at it right now, just looking at his career numbers, he's got an OPS split of 80 points. His slugging is 72 points higher against lefties. So if you're looking for for him to break out of a slump, now's a good time to do it. Uh, Duffy has been looking a little bit more like he did two years ago than he did last year. He's another one I was kind of down on. So it, especially given the low expectations surrounding the catcher position – I like to play on Luke Roy. Now, speaking of low expectations, a guy who's exceeded them so far this year,
2: uh, I had actually was the guy that I picked up for Gary Sanchez in my dynasty league as a stopgap, and that was Jet Bandy. Now, we talked already about the St. Louis Cardinals and how appealing they are, but you know, for five hundred dollars less than Roy, if you want to save some more cash, I mean, Jet Bandy's been a guy that's just kind of been getting the job done, hitting for average, hitting for power. Um, you know, not driving in a whole lot of runs here, but that's partially where he's hitting the batting order. But can you make a case for Jet Bandy tonight on Thursday?
1: Oh, absolutely. I love Jet Bandy. I think, and I think I said you brought him up again last week, and you and I are just going to become the Jet Bandy fan. I love, love it. Gets. I love it. I mean, it's such a cool name. I mean, really. I mean,
2: if your name is Jet Bandy, <laughs> like even if he sucks, it's still pretty good. Like you just you feel good about putting Jet Bandy out there, but look the the guys look it's a good ballpark. I know Carlos Martinez is not the you know the easiest out, but let's not forget he's you know coming off an outing where he threw a lot of pitches too. So I I think that there might be a fair amount of offense in that game.
1: Yeah, and Bandy actually went deep today. He went uh, deep off of Kyle Hendricks, so uh, he's the the hitting is yet to stop. (laughs) <laughs> that's
2: right. Oh, so actually, he's up uh, I should. That's right. He did go to yard tonight. So you get another one to that uh, total as well. All right. Let's move over to first base. I talked a little about Tampa and Erasmo Ramirez, and that's why from Cash Games, uh, as much as I love Paul Goldschmidt uh, against San Diego for $300 less, Miguel Cabrera, I think, is equally appealing to me. Uh, how about you at first base? Who are the guys that kind of stand out for you?
1: For me, the guy who really stands out, and this might feel a little contrarian, is Freddie Freeman. And I know he's he's facing Strasburg, so right away people are going to be avoiding him. But, I mean, he's got – he's only 3500 tomorrow. tomorrow. His cost is about 10th among first basemen. But the bigger thing is his career versus Strass. Now, Freeman has faced Strasburg 43 times in his career, the third most he's faced anybody. And that's a big sample for everybody. So, like, when we talk BVP,
2: I'm all about big sample BVPs. So, lay it on him, Dougie.
1: Yeah, one, especially anytime you have someone who's uh, a division rival, that's where that BBP starts to matter because they're facing each other a lot. Well, against Strass, Freeman has a 1294 OPS. He has four career homers, 13 career RBI. I mean, it's ridiculous.
2: And, you know, Freddie Freeman's uh, hard hit rate's been very good this year as well. Quick question for you. Freddie Freeman, Joey Votto, end of 2017, who has
1: the best stats? I think Freeman does. I, you know, I was a little slow to come around on Freeman, but so far, so good. Yeah, the ballpark seems to be playing well for him, not to mention,
2: you know, the Matt Kemp's presence in the second half last year. Obviously, you know, he needs to get back healthy right now. But what about values at first base? Anybody, you know, below that 3,500? 35 is pretty good, but can you go down to Matt Carpenter? I know he just got back in the lineup. Is that uh, a doable situation there? I mean, 3,000 for a first baseman. If you do want to go up to the board of Kursale very top, Carpenter certainly does help that scenario.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Carpenter certainly has the reputation and the ability. Now, I believe it was a hand injury that he's dealing with. I'm always a little careful when it comes to hand injuries or wrist injuries. Um, You know who's interesting to me is Trey Mancini. That guy is just raking right now. (laughs) That would be the understatement of the century. And a a
2: good player, too. I mean, a guy who played well last year at AAA, and I think that – I would not be shocked by the all-star break. He's an everyday player. I know they're trying to platoon him right now and ease him in and make sure there's no pressure on him. But, I mean, what's standing in his way?
1: Nothing. Exactly. And,
2: <laughs> and I think so that's the thing. And this, is, and this is where DFS will lead, bleed over.
1: <laughs> this is where he's DFS will bleed over. You know. Yeah,
2: I am, absolutely. <laughs> and this is where DFS play will bleed over into your season-long leagues. Because if you see what's going on with Mancini and how well he's playing and you realize there's no one in front of him, even if you're in just a 12-team mixer. Guys like Mancini are probably on the waiver wire in your league, and they're guys at least worth monitoring right now. And if you have a deep bench, worth grabbing. All right, let's go over to third base. I know there's two guys you like here. We talked already about this uh, Tampa Bay game, but let's talk about it from the, uh, the the Tampa Bay side in terms of offense. How about Evan Longoria? What are your thoughts on him against Daniel Norris? Well, again, I'm,
1: I try not to get too caught up with the platoon splits, but there's certain guys who – consistently seem to do it year in and year out and I'm look for very pronounced platoon splits. Longoria is one of those guys. So anytime he's facing a lefty in this case is Daniel Norris, then that's something that I, I definitely forward to. I looked, I look for or any basically any anytime certain bats are facing a left-hand pitcher. It used to be that way with Buster Posey he's you know that's part of the problem I guess with platoon splits is that they only last for so long but for right now I really like what I'm seeing on Longoria. And then uh, also Miguel Snow against Trevor Bauer, and yeah. part of that is um, is my disdain for Trevor Bauer, but uh, as much more of that is just look at what Snow is doing, and I mean he, he's he was probably my biggest breakout candidate last year. He'll be it again this
2: yeah, year. Yeah, you and me both. I think we were all just a year early on him, and he was more focused this year. Came into camp in better shape. I think kind of realized you know what it takes to succeed on the major league level. So it was a rough learning curve. He's still striking out a fair amount, which is a little concerning, but at least the power is coming around. He's physically right. And I think him moving back to third base was a positive for him. I think trying to learn the outfield, trying to be an everyday major leaguer at the same time, I think that was a little bit too much for Sano to handle back at third base. Clearly the has continue to turn around. But one question I have about Bauer, you talk about splits being pronounced. This is a guy whose home and road splits were very pronounced the last couple of years. So anything to that fact where, because Bauer is actually on the road that, you know, that's where he has pitched better in his career. Is that a spot where you say, uh, does that give you pause with Sano or it doesn't matter because Sano is just raking right now. And basically anybody you put in front of him, he's going to mash.
1: It doesn't matter to me more so because Jacob's Field is not that extreme of a ballpark. When I, when I see extreme home road splits, I look for an extreme home. Uh, you know, There's certain ballparks and where certain pitching styles play better, even a place like like Oakland with its huge foul territory. Well, guys who induce a lot of pop-ups are going to do especially well in Oakland, so that makes sense. Um, but there's nothing about Jacob's Field, at least that I've uncovered yet, where it would be especially harming to someone like Bauer. If, if anything, he, you know, in general, pitchers do better at home, so you'd expect him to be, do better there. So I, he's not someone that once he goes on the road, I start to, to, to trust him. No way. All right, well,
2: baseball is here and don't get stranded on first base without your Rotowire subscription. And don't miss out on this great offer. Make your first deposit on FanDuel today and you'll get a free 6-month Rotowire subscription. So go to fanduel.com/rotowire to claim it and you must be a new FanDuel user in order to be eligible. Users may only establish one account on FanDuel that's fanduel.com/rotowire. Let's go to the middle infield. Let's talk about my boy who's just been brilliant this year. I know he's expensive but the position's not been great over at shortstop it really hasn't Turner's injury, uh, Segura just getting back in the lineup, Bogart's kind of you know kind of finding himself still but Francisco Lindor 4200 I mean it just seems like most of the time now no matter what lineup I'm playing no matter what tournament you know, whether it be 50-50's GPP whatever the style of game I just have a hard time not going to Francisco Lindor. I just find it to be a really good return on investment, even for $4,200. What are your thoughts on him on Thursday with the matchup? He's got Irvin Santana, who's pitched relatively well. But, I mean, so far, I mean, the guy's at 350 on the year. He's showing power. He's showing speed. I mean, what more can he ask for from Francisco Lindor? Is there anything Lindor can't do? uh i don't know if he's can he do the taxes because i know tax day just passed if he can do taxes to i'll tell you what i just moved if you can come here and help me unload some boxes and unpack some stuff that'd be great If you could think send his be- ass
1: over here i'd be really i'd be forever grateful if you could do that <laughs> now, lindor is excellent and urban santana he's someone who i don't want to buy into yet uh i want i don't want to buy into that performance and frankly i don't think it matters right now with what lindor is doing but you're absolutely right. The shortstop position went from being a deep one to a really shallow one. Really quick. <laughs> yeah, really quick. Well, what happened? I mean, you know, you you lose Carlos Correa, you lose Trey Turner. All of a sudden, you know, Bogarts, isn't he doesn't have any power yet this year. Uh, for this particular slate, there's no Corey Seeger. So all of a sudden it's Lindor and a bunch of junk. So I, I think he's someone that I kind of wonder how much his defensive reputation, being so strong compared to his bat, how much that's still digging into his ownership rates. You know, People are still kind of slow to come around to it. This is a young player who has shown just exceptional development all the way through. I love Lindor. I, now, I, I,
2: you you mentioned Bogarts there. Is there something with Estrada on the mound? Is this an opportunity to get going? Because I'll tell you, on Monday, the theme uh, Monday night when we recorded for the Tuesday show, Todd Zoll and I were basically saying, here are the guys that are going to get going. Here they are. It's Russell Martin. It's Encarnacio, It's all these guys. And we were basically right on all of them pretty much on Tuesday. So you <laughs> listen to the show Tuesday morning. You did very well for yourself. But uh, is Bogarts one of these guys now who's a little bit due and is a straw the guy to kind of help jumpstart him a little bit?
1: I think it's more a case of everything else is that sketch right now. Okay. And so with Bogarts, I think that there's not – a severe downside because he is still making good contact. Now, if they bat him six, like the, again, like they did today, then he loses a bit of that value. I, I would much rather see him near the top of the lineup. But he's a guy, especially with Estrada being a big fly ball pitcher and them playing in a pretty good hitter's park, You know, this is something that could help get Bogarts off the schneid when it comes to his power. Now, one guy I'm going to throw out there, but he's
2: strictly a tournament play only, is Chris Owings. Uh, Owings has been bit hit and miss this year, but against Clayton Richard, I like that opportunity there for him. Uh, Owings does a lot of different things. Uh, Again, just a strict tournament play. I don't think he's a cash game option and probably a multiple lineup guy, too, but that's one of those shortstops where I think, you know, yeah, you could get nine points out of him, but you'd also get a 30-point night out of him, and I think those are the kind of guys to keep an eye on. Let's go over to second base here. Uh, as we turn the page over and finish the middle infield, let's we'll talk about Brian Dozier because that's another guy who's got that matchup against Trevor Bauer. We talked about Bauer already and his shortcomings, which are many. Uh, but Dozier hitting usually lead off in that lineup, you got to like the volume in terms of at bats, and you got to like the skill set too—the power and the speed that he brings.
1: Yeah, he's stolen a bunch of bags this year, and I know he had the the crazy couple of weeks. It was kind of Chase Headley-esque—the home runs he last year. Uh but at the same time, he doesn't need to do those things. He 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 doesn't need to have the crazy power spike of last year and, and yet the fact that he's stealing bags tells us that he he can make up that difference even if he's just getting walked by Bauer, which good chance of that happening. And at thirty one hundred dollars, I mean it's his price point is just beautiful. I mean, especially considering some of the guys that are going I mean, Jose Peraza is thirty four hundred tomorrow. And yeah. I, I mean I prefer Dozier in his situation than I prefer Cano, than then even, you know, some like Kinsler. So it's, yeah, I, I just see a big opportunity for bang for your buck there. Also keep in mind, in Cincinnati, you've got Jonathan
2: Scope. There's got a lot of power. It's a very uh, friendly ballpark environment there. And and Scope's, you know, starting to turn things around a little bit in the last week or so, so that's another good one. For $100 more, if you're worried about the Dozier uh, exposure and you think the ownership might be a little high on him, even for $100 more, Ian Kinsler... Uh, if you just want a very you know, similar lineup and stay within that price range, Kinsler against Rosmo Ramirez. I, I just like Detroit. I just think there's going to be a lot of soft underbelly, and that bullpen's going to be exposed over in Tampa. But let's head over to the outfield uh, and talk about uh, some San Diego Padres, believe it or not. Uh, one, I love it because two of the guys you target are two of the guys I own shares of all over the place. One of them is with San Diego Padres. Let's talk about Hunter Renfro against Patrick Corbin. Corbin having a hard time really striking guys out. So at this point, you're, what are you expecting from Renfro? What are you, what are you looking for him in terms of on return today?
1: Well, I'm just looking to at some of the Padre right-handed bats against Corbin. Who I, I like Corbin. I like him just fine. Uh, I don't necessarily like him for Thursday's slate. <laughs> I think that he could. Well, that's what it's away. all about. That's why they call it daily fantasy, baby. Exactly. Exactly. And and I mean Margot's been excellent. Renfro a little bit slower to get going. But he has that power. I think that he could just – all it takes is one, right? He he could definitely run into one against someone like Corbin. Um, So going for the right-handed bats with San Diego, Um, especially because I didn't see a lot of great values in the outfield. So I I really like what both Renfro and Margot offer. Well, I'm glad you mentioned
2: Margot too because that's another one where – You know, the problem is some nights, the zeros, you know, I'm not a big fan of the zeros. You know, those kind of guys kind of concern me a little bit. I I prefer the guys that, you know, will get you, you know, six, nine, whatever it is on their off nights. When the guys have off nights and get you zero, that's a little troubling. But he's still a young player. I think that comes with it. So in tournament play, I do think Marco and Renfro are very viable. Let's talk about another one, a guy that I've been all over, and I took a lot of slack for this year where I had him ranked. In terms of relative position value, and that was Mitch Haniger. Who, it's funny. I think a lot of people went who at the beginning of the year, and and they started to learn more about him. But this was a guy who did everything right in the lower levels, all the way through the minor leagues. Basically, it was a matter of he got squeezed in Arizona, and now he's got playing time. And so far, Mitch Haniger has just they've been absolutely fantastic. He's just you know raking right now. Uh, he's got 15-plus uh, RBIs on the year, hitting 320. And I'm looking at him as there's a guy, too, when he's having off nights, he's hitting still 9, 6, 15 points. There's, there's not one zero here on the board for him this season already in April. And I'm looking at Hanager, and he's also got a couple 20-plus points and some 30-plus point nights, and he's just 2,800, which I find staggering that he's only 2,800. And I think the ownership on him is going to be high, But I don't think it's wrong. Uh, Sometimes the chalk is the right answer, and if Hanniger is
1: that chalk, uh, then sign me up. I'm going to get messy tonight, baby. Well, especially when it opens up the opportunity to have more flexibility elsewhere in the roster. And so, yeah, 2,800, I I agree. I think Hanniger is a great selection. I thought that was a huge pickup for them uh, in the trade with the Diamondbacks. Uh, I'm – I'm all about Hanniger. I think that's a great move right there. And especially against Valdez, we don't really know what he's going to bring to the table, but it's probably not going to be much. So I think that's a great play.
2: Let's bring up Michael Brantley too, who's obviously looks healthy for the first time in a very long time. Uh, the lefty bat against Irvin Santana. As good as Santana has been so far to start the year, he's still Irvin Santana, so you can never trust him completely. And this is another guy whose hard hit rate has been very strong so far for Brantley. Uh, another guy who brings a unique skill set where he can score points for you in different ways, not just with the bat, but with his legs as well. And you know, in terms of upper tier outfielders, so far, I mean, you know, out, I know George Springer's been brilliant, and I know Cespedes is eating up the Phillies so far this year. But uh, if you're not going to go Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, you don't want to go to the very top of the board. In terms of cash game outfielders, I mean,
1: Michael Brantley is is hard to ignore right now. I will say I'll I'll give a positive and a negative take on Brantley. Good. Uh, I like debate. That's what this is all about. (laughs) And let you, the listener, decide which way you want to go. Fair enough. Uh, The positive take, I mean, anytime you have a guy with a shoulder injury, you worry about the power. How long will it take to come back? Will Mm -hmm. it come back? Brantley's shoulder injuries were epic. And so the fact that he's come back, he's already hit a couple of bombs. He's hit a handful of doubles. And he's got uh what, what is it, five extra base hits in his last six or seven games? I mean yeah. that's definitely encouraging. But my negative take is that he's still four thousand bucks. Yeah. And it's odd. I, I feel like that's that's almost assuming he's completely back to his peak form of a couple of years ago, and that I'm not willing to pay for. Again, that that will come back and bite me. We were just talking about this with Paxton, but I have a hard time assuming that a guy's gonna do something that he hasn't done enough of. If it's a guy with a track record, I'm all about it. But without it, uh, I tend to be maybe patient to a fault with some of these guys. So I personally probably wouldn't jump on Brantley at 4,000. But he is definitely someone I've got my eye on. Whereas before the season, I would almost written him off because I was really worried about that shoulder. And I have written off Jason Kidness even when he does come back.
2: All right, now all he does is hit home runs, Adam Duvall, and I don't understand why anyone has a problem with that. I love it. (laughs) Uh, But Wade Miley, left-handed spot there. So $3,700 Adam Duvall. you got $3,800 A.J. Pollock, righty versus lefty Clayton Richard, or Michael Brantley at four. Between those three guys, generally same price range. Where are you going, and for which contest are you going? Duvall, Pollock, uh,
1: and Michael Brantley. I like Duvall. I'm, I'm all about to hit or miss. And he's had a couple of just monster games so far. Plus, he's got the platoon advantage. So uh, because I want to see the big win, and, and I like playing – I mean, I play cash games too, but I love the tournament play. And I think he's the ultimate guy for a big tournament play. So uh, I tend to favor some of those all-or-nothing guys. So it's, Duvall it's is perfect.
2: All right. He's Doug Thorburn. You can follow him on Twitter at Doug underscore Thorburn. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Pizza 17 That'll do it for us on the DFS RotoWire podcast. Have a great day of daily fantasy.